We're operating in a worldview and a theology. We're like, no, no, no. Your relationship with your matters. Your relationship with your soul matters. There's this place as an artist where everyone else is running for cover from the rain. You want to climb the church steeple and you want to get struck by lightning. At the end of the day, you don't get a medal for being in pain and not taking anything. All you do is hurt everyone around you. John kind of thinks for a moment and he goes, This is the thing that I would want every young man to know. You're wondering, is it clickbait? What does that three-choice challenge mean? We've got a lot of things that we talk about around here, and I think this week we wanted to do something practical. We were sitting down over a beer, I confess, and looking at each other, and we came up with this challenge of, hey, by the end of the week, make three choices that produce an impact in an area that you care about. I think you're going to enjoy the process and the way that we worked that out. We're also really particular in the ways that you can affect change and kind of try to flesh that out a little bit to begin with. And then you'll hear us be a little bit careful about describing choices we make within our context. And I hope that you hear in that our hope to kind of be aware of where we are situated in the world and how we can make choices in response to that. You want the one takeaway here in the intro? Focusing on the area where you can make a difference is more effective and spending your time focusing on areas that you cannot. Compañeros, it feels like today we want to open with this quote that we have here from Dan Allender to be told. I know, Dan Allender, who is this guy? Never heard of him before. Never referenced when it's something he's done. Never uh, seen his name or his face on any project or in okay. any movie. <laughs> he's got some good things to say, so forgive me for quoting him. We are what we choose. And we choose whatever our deepest passion compels us to be and to do. To understand the truth of the simple principle, we must examine choice's power to shape our character. I think it's a great opening quote as we examine choice and decisions and kind of how we can actually affect change in our world. And Blaine, I remember a couple of weeks ago, you actually... We actually don't have blinds in our office downstairs, and so we've got this big uh, whiteboard that we use, like leaned up against the the glass, and it works pretty well because we've got ideas. We just turn around and use that wall. And you were talking about this idea of some things that we can influence, some things that we can't, and some helpful categories to think about as we move into this conversation about choice. Yeah, this is this is huge. So if you're following along and you have the opportunity to pull out a piece of paper. Otherwise, just do this in your head. This is a core exercise in how you think about your time. And you're going to draw two concentric circles, like the circles on an archery target, like a little circle and then a big circle around it. And in the little circle, we're going to write down everything that you can actually change in this instant. This includes uh, the clothes you wear, the things you buy, the things you eat, the media you consume, the way you conduct yourself, the way that you move through your city, whether or not you drive or bike or walk, which movies you go to. And this inner circle is the circle of influence. So you're writing down everything that you can actually change. Now in the outer circle, you're going to begin writing things that you spend a lot of your time thinking about, but over which you have absolutely no control, like the weather or the traffic conditions in your city or, frankly, 
most of the measures that are going through uh, various foreign governments, let alone our own government, everything that you see on the news to a certain extent. And this circle is the circle of concern. And so here's where things are going to get a little tricky. If you are spending all of your energy in the circle of concern where you cannot make a meaningful difference and where you cannot make an immediate action to affect a change, you are actually wasting your time. That's a little disappointing. Well, yeah. When I saw that, it just kind of felt like, you know, I almost like kind of sit down. I'm almost choking as I go like, okay, so most of the things that I spend my time thinking about and reading in the news and posting on social media, these are all things that I cannot influence. So here is the trick to this tool. Uh, This is a way of thinking about our life, and this is what happens. If you actually begin spending all of your time inside the circle of influence, you're not ignoring your context, but your circle of influence is going to grow so that eventually many of the things that concern you right now might be things that you could actually change in the form of, you know, policies and persuasive messages. And you could be in a position by operating inside your influence where eventually your influence is much broader. But you don't get there by starting and by thinking about that circle of concern. That feels complicated. It feels like somehow if I think about clothes and where I go for lunch, eventually I'll be able to change policy. Like there's this massive jump that's like, welcome, you've leveled up. Now that you're level 12, you can choose which area you'd like to add to your circle of influence. But as I think about it, an area of concern is farming or, you know, the treatment of animals or the the environment. Then Truthfully, you can't just go out and and fix all that as a as a single mind, as a single person. Um, instead, your choice of where you shop and where you buy your food for lunch does affect things in your world, and then can continue to affect and can actually that can actually grow as you have conversations about it, as you get involved with your local co op, as you get like th- as you spend time in something, you. I guess, take some ownership of it. So it's a little bit like these physical examples of running. You know, you'd like to do the the Boston Marathon, but you don't jog. And so the Boston Marathon might be an area of concern, but your influence really is getting off your couch and going out the front door. Does that feel like a, a, a good boiling down of how that progression can happen? Yeah, that's just really well said. And if you're currently listening to this and going, wow, that makes sense, but man, where do I start? Well, Sam and I were wondering that the other day over a beer, and what we decided that we were going to do is we looked at each other and we challenged each other. And, you know, we were looking at the tumultuous times that we live in and, you know, wanting to be influencing and wanting to be moving towards the redemptive vision we have and all of these areas of things that we love. And we were like, okay, today, three choices, three actions that are going to make a positive difference inside your circle of influence and that over time have the opportunity to grow into even into larger scales of change. Right. So the overtime piece felt pretty critical because it wasn't just 
um, do the ice bucket challenge and donate to the Lou Gehrig's research fund. Like that's a great one-time little choice you can make, but it's popular and heck I did it. And that was what, two years ago now, maybe more. Wow. Instead, these choices were focusing on long-term change, right? There were things that we wanted to implement that we can continue practicing and hoping to expand our our spheres of influence in the areas that we are concerned about. But something we did want to name from the outset as we step into these particular choices that we made that we're going to, we're going to flesh out because it was actually a really difficult and also fun challenge for ourselves. And I hope that you guys um, take that upon yourselves as well. But we also want to like name where we operate in the world that like we are white men um, in our 20s in the affluent Western hemisphere in the United States. Like we have a very particular place in the world and in history that we operate in and the, our spheres of influence and things of concern are shaped by that in the ways that we can walk in a city and walk and be heard in a room. Um, we need to take that into account in order to operate well. And I think if we were blind to that, that we would, as we mentioned, the success podcast, um, we would not be the kind of people that I would want to follow if, you, if you're not self-aware. And so naming that we have this role and these choices are not the only things we are doing in our world. Yeah, that's the other one I would jump in and go. Uh, we did this three-choice challenge, but it does feel important to say um, these are not the only things that we're doing and that this lifestyle of action is really contagious. And I think that you will find as you are actually committing yourself to a lifestyle of maturity, to a lifestyle of transformation, it's going to begin having effects all over your time uh, and in all the other things that you do. And so uh, it would actually take a really long time, frankly, and it's just worth saying, uh, to describe all of the ways that um, we are learning to shape our time in view of the things that we want to affect in the world. Uh, maybe we'll do that on another podcast, but in this particular one, this is the low-hanging fruit of things that we were able to move towards. And what's interesting in that is there's almost this need to like defend yourself, right? Like as you as you as you set out this thing of like, okay, we did this three choice challenge. There's almost like immediately this defensiveness of like, but I also do these other things, right? Like I feel that pull, and I know that you feel that pull too. And it's like I can hear someone listening going wow, you know, these guys are fairly well-educated and they've got a lot of opportunity and they chose to do that. I, 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 can, I can hear that. And I also I want to name that almost insecurity that is a, a product of the culture that we live in of just, um, we're, we're in a, a critical culture. And so there's all these quotes floating out there. And one of them, you know, that, that I do love and that also can get a little confusing is this Margaret Mead quote um, that... Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. And I I think I almost had part of that quote in my mind as I began to think about what three choices I'm going to make. Immediately, the whole idea of the spheres of influence was out the door because it was, I need to make big, bold, I need to like wow people, both you, Blaine, when we kind of sat back down and talked about this, what what did we choose to do? And uh, people listening in, I wanted them to go, oh my gosh, that was so creative and that really you had three choices and you started a nonprofit that completely changed the way that homeless people were treated in your city. That's amazing. And that's, uh, that's also not 
what we were after in this challenge and not not like a helpful maybe maybe we'll get there and maybe some of the things that we've started started in this small way will grow into those larger areas thus this idea of things you can influence and things that want to bring lasting change so without any more caveats and without any more kind of explaining this was a three choice challenge. Blaine, do you want to start with the first thing you did? Yeah. So the first thing I did was I cut media. It sounds very Lent of you. Yeah, but it, you know, it isn't at all. I mean, I can feel, um, I feel like I can feel a listener right away going like, do you mean cut your podcast or do you mean cutting, you know, like TV? What do you mean? Like, and that's not for me. Like, okay. It is often easier to not do something than to do something when you're trying to think of changes you can make. And so I cut all of my social media accounts. I mean, they're gone. I didn't like leave myself the back door of like a relapse later on. And I deleted the news function from my phone. And here's the thing. Here's why I did that. One, social media. Seeing what a person posts is very different than actually being involved in that person's life. And I know I'm not Mm. the only person who sees uh, what their friends and family post and feels like this tension emerging in their relationship where you have no opportunity to sit down with that person. You You literally do not have the chance to look them in the face and ask them what they meant. And so you end up like firing these entrenched comments back and forth. And, you know, there's every study in the world to indicate that social media is not a good vessel of social change and that things that people see posted on their Facebook wall don't actually make a lasting difference. So here's the news one. I'm just going to keep going. So not promoting ignorance here, people, but awareness without action becomes meaningless. There's also good evidence that if you're constantly seeing news stories, it becomes harder uh, to remember them. And it's worth asking if you are letting algorithms and a select community of people mediate all your news to you, you're surrendering this core function uh, of intentionality, of finding things that you have real concern about and going and digging up real information and stories about them in your own time. And so first thing for the health of my relationships with people for the use of my own time, uh, and then to actually be intentional about how I interact with information is just to delete my de facto channels. Boom. Sounds like you're trying to free yourself from like an echo chamber as well in there. That, like, oh, big time. Everything sort of becomes this. I mean, for those of you who don't know what an echo chamber is, it's basically people all agree with you all standing around and that being your, your only um, input of information. It's all very self-confirming and you don't ever really hear the other side. You speak your idea, and that reflects back to you and your friends and then your news. And, and when Blaine says algorithms, like, it is actually happening. Like, it tailors itself to what you want. And so you get really self-fulfilling input there. So to, like, to shut that down feels a little bit like, wow, Blaine, you're you're kind of, are you, like, a Luddite now? Do you, are, you, are you using technology anymore? Do you, do you know you live in the 21st century? And in the, in the act of shutting it down, that's sort of like half the action, right? Like the other half is to put something in its place, which is this idea of of books. And I know that like there there were some people, is this your second one? Or yeah, you, yeah, we oh, can't no, get oh, to that oh, one. Okay, so but the first I one would, is just shutting it down. The first one is shutting okay, down social media. But, but, I would add, but I would add something 
right there. And it is uh, an important question to ask yourself is if social media does not have a strategic position in what you want to accomplish with your time, there's no reason to ever be on it. So if you, you know, if you want to have a closer relationship with uh, your, your family, if you want to be helping the parks movement in your city, if, you know, if any of the things that you feel are important to you, if scrolling through a news feed four times a day isn't actually a part of the way that you are accomplishing that, and if it's not part of the person you want to become, there is no reason to have that account. Man, okay, so time for my first one. Um, a couple of years ago, maybe just a year and a half, um, a young guy who we'll call Chad um, came up to me and this is all post-Killing Lions and all these videos are out. And he said to me, I, I look at your life and I look at where you are now and, and you're you know several years older than me and I'd like to be kind of somewhere close to that by the time I'm your age and I'd love to get your advice and I would really appreciate it if you would mentor me. And I was, you know, honored by that. And I kind of felt, you know, pretty good about myself hearing those words from somebody. And so I think I said, I said, yes, that I'd love to, to mentor that person, mostly because I liked the word mentor and because I liked that someone had asked me to mentor. And I didn't really think a lot about what kind of went on in that equation. And therefore I've spoke with that person maybe twice in the year and a half since then. And I would imagine this doesn't take a great imagination that they are probably a little disappointed by their their experience of of what that's been. And I think if I could go back now, I would have clarified more of what they were after, what they were asking for, what they meant, and and generally, you know, taking some time to think about what I felt like I could offer them. So, you know, fast forward a year and a half, this we have this question. And I, I feel like I'm in a very different place now where with certain people. I feel like I have a little bit more clarity to offer counsel, which is it is amazing. Um, I don't I don't have it for everything. I have it for some things, and so in this case, this is a different person. But um, we just spent a weekend with this other person who I will call um, Tony, 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 and Chad. Sound like good guys. Good guys. Um, I offered to have a weekly Skype or FaceTime with this person if it would be helpful. Even in in my offer, I went to them and said, like, I know that there's a lot going on in your world. And sometimes it's it's hard to remember what feels like clarity when you come out to the mountains or when you spend some time away from what we call the matrix of daily life. And I, you know, offered if it would be helpful to connect once a week just to talk about what's going on and help this person to remember um, what it was that felt so clear at that point in time. And, and they were, you know, honored and and ecstatic and the look on their face made me offering the quote like that worth it in and of itself and that actually was one of my choices like as an introvert that's not something I naturally do that's not something you know it's it's to to offer your time and yourself is super intimidating and this person is close enough in my world that it felt like something that could actually influence not only my life by doing it and by building this thing in myself, but could potentially impact their life and and might be something that 
I find myself needing to have the skill of later down the road. And, you know, we've done this a couple of times now and it's been good and awkward and it feels a little bit like trying to swim. And you're like, I think this is forward momentum and I think my strokes go like this, but I don't know quite how aqua dynamic I'm being. I probably could be more precise with my questions and my thoughts, but even just putting myself in a position to offer for someone else has been has been really good. And I think that would be my first that was the first choice I made, the three-choice challenge. Man, to point out the obvious, it sounds like, based on that choice, that intentional relationship is a core element of how you think that restoration is going to take place. Right. And there's also personal development in that, right? Like to be someone um, who can speak life into someone else's world demands that you have the ability to get out of your world and to to lose some of that narcissism that we all have innately and to put yourself in someone else's shoes and to empathize and to offer or, or to admit that you, know, you might not be able to offer in, in a given moment. And that's that feels like a very simple step that could potentially evolve into an ability down the road to, you know, think cross gender lines cross people groups to be able to empathize with someone else and to step out of your own world truly is something that, you know, begins on a, on a small scale. Wow. All right. Number two. All right. For my second, I got a library card. What? Yeah. I'll give you a moment to uh, pick your mind up off the wall. It's just been blown onto. Um, vivid. And do they still come laminated? Yeah, they do. Mine has little pine leaves on it. So my coworkers have been heckling me for a while for not having one, and with good reason. But I kind of uh, slipped by on mistakenly left uh, an Audible account active for a year. So I had a bunch of credits and lost a lot of money. Um, but, you know, had some audiobooks available. <laughs> so anyway, that happened. Well, I shut down the Audible account when I finally found it. And I needed there something There was a else. leak somewhere in the budget. It was just there's a leak in the boat. Out. I actually kind of like that when that happens because you always feel like there's a leak somewhere, but usually it's just your poor budgeting. So I got a library card and I, got th- I wanted three books that I could you know, get the same day and begin working my way through. And I think this one, I feel like I'm kind of slipping some other things into this one choice. But one of the things was I wanted access uh, you know, to curated reading lists that could give me some direction if I wanted, you know, more information about core topics of interest, especially as they relate to, like, the life of, say, a church community and also politics and also, you know, any of the hot-button issues. Like, where do I go? Well, here's just one. The foreign officer, the... um if you want to be a spy or a diplomat, there's a, you know, a foreign officer reading list and it's available online and it's super brilliant because you can go through and they have it organized by topic of like, you know, a history of politics in the United States. We recommend that you know these books. A history of racial relations. We recommend you know these books. Uh, and then I supplemented that with kind of looking through of like, okay, and also I would just love to know uh, how communities change. And so... Uh, I looked for a book in that category, so I, I got a library card, and then I, I got the book Race and Ethnic Relations by J.R. Fegan, um, because, you know, I want, I just want more history, uh, and I want to have more vision where I speak up, where I join, where I'm moving, um, and getting, like, 
a nuanced understanding of a key issue for our time felt important. I was interested on how communities change. So I got a book called Doing Democracy, The Map for Organizing Social Movements. Uh, Very helpful manual. Uh, Very kind of straightforward on like, hey, listen, you know, an election can be broken down into these pieces and here's what really happens in cities on the ground. Um, Super fascinating. And I'm actually... I said three, but I'm going to tack on a fourth um, because I got a book called Happy City by Charles Montgomery uh, that I actually heard about in the Tim Ferriss podcast. Um, super fascinating, really interested in you know making Colorado Springs better. And Happy City is about urban architecture and ways that you can like use a city as a vessel for human flourishing. And you know I'm not like part of the city planning committee for those decisions, but. I know that there are areas that I can get access, and it felt like the starting place was to get a clear vision of what kinds of things I would like to see our city implementing. And then the bonus book, really, I recommend here, uh, Nigel Bagar, Behaving in Public. Uh, And this is for you kind of like you real philosophers or theologians out there, but it's still pretty accessible. Uh, but it's behaving in public, how to do Christian ethics. He's just a he's a brilliant theologian. He's a brilliant philosopher. And I kind of wanted like someone who wasn't deeply entrenched in being a public figure, but was also very concerned about public life to kind of give like his, hey, listen, like if you're a member of a church community, if you want to begin enacting things in certain ways, like Here's a pretty fascinating outline. He goes many surprising directions, which I won't get into right here, but uh, got a library card, got three books plus one, four books um, that I'm, you know, slowly working my way through as my choice number two. I want to like run after you and, and grab you by the ankles as you seem to be floating away on this ethereal cloud of untouchable intellectual like these books sound phenomenal and i think that as a culture we've had something named that actually isn't totally true you probably believe that like most people don't read right and so therefore why would you read and it's almost like this self-fulfilling you know crappy prophecy that books are intimidating and therefore you know you just shouldn't bother and and nobody else is really doing it either and so you're kind of fine when the truth is that actually the, the pew research institute like has tons of data on the fact that the majority of Americans read books and multiple books a year and post-college, post-high school in general, like those things, they sound very intimidating and yet they are not only um, accessible, but they're a phenomenal substitute for what has become our input. And I think I remember you kind of pointing to profound thinkers and movers like Godin and Ferris who abandoned the news and just read books instead because there's a a wealth of knowledge there that, that frankly, passes most of today's uh, news input. Uh, Totally. So I know you hinted at this before, but I think it's incredibly helpful to, you know, to cut those media sources. But I absolutely think they should be replaced with things that have in them the potential to, like, really make you effective and really change your worldview and really intrigue and draw you in. And, you know, and a lot of those major figures that you just named and others are like, yeah, I am. I never do the news. I never do newspapers. Like, but I love books on these topics and that's often a much better starting place. It's awesome. So my second choice 
I actually want to, I, I want to kick off with this quote from Leo Tolstoy. Um, it's, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. And again, it, I, for my second choice, I was wrestling with like, what feels valid? Like what feels valuable? I am, I'm thinking about politics. I'm thinking about the environment. I'm thinking about human rights. I'm thinking about um, what our current president is doing nationally and internationally and, and ways that I would love to be solving problems that some very intelligent and active people are are fighting for. And then I also needed to slow down and recognize that there are ways that I need to change myself, um, ways that I need to to learn and grow and and be able to like produce lasting change to be the kind of person who could affect good change when I get there. And so I changed my morning routine. And this is a little bit kind of like your one with media. Um, I haven't totally cut it off because that's hard. And I also have a magazine that we run on social media and feel somewhat obligated to be plugged in and responding to messages there. So what I did change was how I started my workday. Instead of coming down, opening the laptop and doing the email or, you know, pulling up our YouTube account and seeing what horrible comments we need to filter through over the last night, I start upstairs now not by my desk, not in our main floor. Um, I go upstairs with a book and my laptop and I am a person that needs this kind of routine for my general mental health, mental, emotional, spiritual, you name it. Um, opting to, to take up this practice that I've had in the past and seen wonderful fruit from, um, but I've, it's kind of fallen by the wayside. So my routine now is that I start by praying the daily prayer that we have. And then I pick up a book I'm reading at the, at the moment. And it's a it's kind of a different goal. I think I'll, I'll be going through different books, but at the moment I'm reading Bill Bryson's In a, in a Sunburned Country. And then I write and I'm writing what Anne Lamott calls shitty first drafts. And just again, wanting to practice these skills um, that are each one is so important for myself, like to center for the day in prayer. It sounds really nice. It sounds kind of monastic. I remember growing up sort of watching um, our dad's morning ritual and being like, man, that guy's kind of like a monk. He gets up super early and he like makes himself his matcha tea and he goes up on the hillside and he communes with God and nature and prays for like I don't know, three hours and then he comes Just down and then he like, you know, reads half of four different books and then, you know, writes an, a new book that morning. And then I wake up because it's now 10 a.m. And I just, I remember wanting to like emulate some of that because every piece of that is centering, like the piece to, to pray and to get centered there and to consecrate my day and then to read. And in this case, like it's, to inspire for writing, but I think I do want to adopt some of what you've done with like the, I'd love to pick up some of those books to also be informing the way I think about politics and race and all sorts of means that currently the, the maelstrom of, of social media is, is giving me. And then this piece to write, um, which is something that I will not uh, dwell on too long because it's part of my third choice. I'm a better person for the rest of the day. And if I can do these routines for myself, like the first one was kind of other-centered. The second choice is sort of self-centered. Oops, which sounds a little weird, but actually it's this 
like I went into the day, I've been going into the days better, been interacting with people better, been more productive, been more attuned to others because I have this routine and I really want to keep it. Like it's something that I need to make a habit because I've had it in the past and lost it before. And it's been about a year. So I'm excited to be picking that up again. It's so countercultural. It's just counterintuitive even to hear what you're talking about there of starting. I love that quote you said of everyone wants to change the world, uh, but no one wants to change themselves. Like this idea that your point of origin and making a choice could actually be how you handle your time, how you seek to change yourself, how you seek to mature into a person who can handle a hard conversation. Those are all atypical but hugely important starting places in any path of restoration. Yep, it feels massive. All right, number three. Some of you may or may not know, but, you know, Sam and I are are part of a church community, uh, actually the same one. And one dimension of that community is this element of, like, loving our city, being out in it, uh, this element of, like, missional service. Um, And there could probably be a whole podcast on this, but, you know, just one of the things as a group of people is like, hey, how, how do we extend this? How do we invite in? You know, how do we handle that outward disposition of any church community? And so on March 15th, some members in our little missional community are going to be at uh, kind of an educational orientation night for being a cultural mentor for refugees and asylees in our city. And I absolutely believe that biblically we're called to welcome the stranger and to be the friend um, and to be the family of displaced people in our city. But it was actually a very big jump for me uh, to, in some ethereal world, like that or think that was important. And then, you know, actually like get on my calendar an opportunity to show up in a chair and look for a way that as a community and as part of a movement— Um, that's doing other things as well. I don't mean other social things. I mean like wanting to life, to walk out life with God together, but to actually be present uh, to very real people. I think um, one thing that an old pastor friend in Spokane would say that I just loved, he was like, you cannot love people in general. You have to love and you can only love specific people. And this was just one way for me of getting something on the calendar that was going to kind of shift my like general love or general concern about things to like a very specific concern for a few people right here whose life I could actually influence. It's huge. I love that, that you can't love the general. You have to love the specific. I've thought about that a lot of like you hear stories on the news or stories even in, in sermons and and like they kind of are effective but when they when they're really effective is when there's a face and there's a name and there's like an emotional connection to that person. They're not just a number anymore. Um, that's why I actually love. There's a nonprofit in Santa Barbara. That these guys created understanding that principle, and they their name was these numbers have faces, and it was trying to like humanize data again. And I thought that was a, an effective piece. But just love that there's a choice in there to to say like, I believe this and I need to love on them and them needs to become a person. And just like two things, I mean, one, your sister-in-law, Rachel, or Colin's been rankling me for a long time of, you say you love the poor, what are their names? Um, Brutal. That was a real stumper for me. But also, it is not a difficult step. It's not even like a huge step to see in your city 
uh, what are some tangible needs that you feel like you could be called to meet and just look up where they're going to be and show up to the meeting. Um, that's a pretty low-hanging fruit uh, redemptive action. That one is so freaking hard for me. And I hope to include something like that in my future, but it's not what I chose for my third. Um, my third was chosen by how my sphere of influence has changed over the years. So this isn't gonna, this is very particular for me and it's because of the ways that like I have I have a very different sphere of influence in the ability to write. So my third is that I am working on a book project more seriously. Um, have been working on it and want to finish it. Um, and for for reasons that like that's actually readership and and readers and what I present in this book that is like it's geared towards millennials, it's geared towards the way that we kind of see ourselves and can move in the world. Like I can actually, I can actually, I'm going to change the emphasis on that. I can actually influence more people through that than a first time person could. And that's amazing. And it's also fueled by this idea that if I'm changing myself and I am learning more about the world and learning more about who I believe Jesus is and what the invitation of the kingdom is, and also kind of naming some things about our culture like if that can change one or two or 10 or a thousand people's lives, wouldn't you want to be able to offer that? And that's not necessarily, you don't, you don't get to start there. You don't get to start on the stage with a megaphone. You kind of, you work your way there. But I find myself at that kind of point right now where I would not be taking advantage of that. To not do it, I think would be to deny something of myself and something of what I'm, I'm called to do. And it's also fueled by these, these, I have two more quotes here because a lot of, like I love the quotes of people on, on change and thinking. And I'm going to end my, my third choice of these quotes and, and they're part of what motivates them. One is by Albert Einstein and it's, the world we have created is a process of our thinking. It cannot be changed without changing our thinking. And what I love about that is that by changing my own and by changing others, we can actually affect change in the world. Um, and this other one here is by Annie Dillard, who, you know, is a phenomenally talented writer. Um, and she writes this in Teaching a Stone to Talk. We could, you know. We can live in any way we want. People take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, even of silence, by choice. The thing is to stalk your calling in a certain skilled and supple way to locate the most tender and live spot and plug into that pulse. That, that to me spoke really well of why I would choose this choice to pick up this book again, because it has been a year. It has just sat there and is something that like I am making a, a long cho- term choice to finish this year and to be, and to be putting down. So, yeah. And I feel like you touch on two huge concepts in that choice that I'm really glad are going to get brought up here at the end. One of them is these choices need to be specific to what Jesus is calling you to do. You know, he is the one who is capable of orchestrating restoration. He's the only one who's capable of doing it. And he is the individual who is up to it on the earth. And so generalities will never work. What we need are the specificities of our own life with God. And you've been called to write And so actually one of the very best things that you can do is trust God and take a very significant step and actually 
riding and actually doing that thing that he's set in front of you to do, trusting that he actually has like a very specific plan for how it fits in. And then I think the other one is that you mentioned about an audience is it's really worth thinking at whatever scale it is, who are the people that Jesus has made available to you uh, to help and to heal and to call out and to interact with. And for most of us, that is a few people like our family or a few close friends who are in front of us. But if God is putting you in other positions, like having the ability to write a book or you're leading a small group or you do get to interact with your coworkers, you're part of a cycling team, it's really worth asking uh, what you are doing in view of the fact that you do have an audience or you do have a group where your influence is felt uh, to respond to that influence. And, you know, one of the ways that I hear you talking about that in your book project is taking seriously the fact that Jesus has given you at this point in time probably a specific opportunity to be read and that it's actually part of your walk with God and faithful response to take that seriously and to write in this season. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and it, it does feel like an appropriate land, like landing point in what you're bringing up, Lane, of just like these, there will be a specific story. Like there are there are tears to this. There, there are the ways that you can step out of your comfort zone in this choice challenge, which I kind of, I hope that you listening will take up. Like this wasn't a, something I'm going to do this year. This was in the next two weeks, what are three choices you can make that are going to change something in your world or in yourself and probably change it for the better because we're about redemption and bringing the kingdom. And so like there do seem to be these tears. There's this like stepping out of your, your comfort zone. There's actually acting out what you say you believe, which is why I like that opening quote from Dan so much. Um, he, you know, goes on to say that if I say I, I am about taking care of my body, but when things get difficult, I go to the you know, chips or the ice cream, then what I actually am about is comfort. And I just need to name that. That's not good. That's not bad. I just need to be clear with myself of what I'm doing is actually what I am valuing. And there's a whole nother podcast I'd love to have about that, about how we like need to name who we are and how our choices are defining us and how we don't get to be passive in light of that. But you know, these other tiers are like, what are the, what's the inner world that God's working on? What are ways that you can move towards things? And it's this inward-centered, outward-centered period of growth that I think aligns really well with what we were about. And this was a fun challenge to do. It was terrifying a little bit in some parts. Um, I like some of your answers better than I like some of mine, but I know that mine were were hard for me in certain ways and will be tough to stick with. And I think it would be good to potentially come back to you next season and say, did you stick with it? And what uh, what's the fruit of that? So that might be kind of interesting to see, you know, three months from now. Absolutely. And for right now, we do have uh, this challenge uh, for the people listening for their own redemption and to be redemptive. Start small, simple works, and do something. And I can't wait to see you all in the non-digital world. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. You need to be sure to subscribe now and follow us on social media under Ann Sons Magazine. And of course, for articles and films, check out annsonsmagazine.com.